game. Welcome to Blake Street Banter, where one of us knows what the word banter means. The other two are just long for the ride. Kirk, say hi. Hi. James, say what's up. Fuck you. <laughs> Congrats on your uh, new projector that you bought. Thank you. 600 bucks. <laughs> yeah, on sale. Yeah, That's so like really, it's only three ninety nine, but I'm gonna say six hundred because the ticker price, the ticker price was five hundred or six hundred. So that's what <laughs> I'm gonna you, say. When you tell a story, you always give the ticker price. Sticker price, right? One hundred. All right. So what are we sipping on, boys? Because uh, we got some news today that doesn't make most Rockies fans happy. We sipping on anything? Hand sanitizer. Good prevented i hear if you drink a lot like a gallon a day it prevents everything right that's when you're really trying to sneak some stuff <laughs> kirk you sipping on anything i have some jack daniels but i'm not i'm not that sad <laughs> not that sad so <laughs> this news if you haven't heard bill schmidt has been hired as the official non-interim gm of the colorado Rockies. Initial reaction when you heard the news. Go. Not a surprise. Yeah, it's the most least surprising and most disappointing move in the same time. It's everything that we all expected at the All-Star break. Like, we knew that. We're all we knew it was going to happen. Against. Right? And the what's the – okay, so let me word it this way. What angers you the most about the hiring? What angers me the most is, um, you know, the horror movies where the, the, the call is coming from inside the house. Yeah. That's Montfort. Like the call has always been coming from inside the house. Breidich, like everybody that was his, that was a scapegoat or whatever. But before that it was O'Dowd and now it's going to be Bill Schmidt, but it really comes down to the owner just being not a good owner. And so the call is coming from inside the house still. And we're just sitting around acting like we should hide behind behind the logs instead of getting in the running car, like the commercial. And here we are just along for the fucking ride. It makes me think about all the moves that maybe Bright Edge wanted to make, but were nixed or I don't know. I mean, Bright Edge wasn't a great GM by any means, but he was a yes man. And that's why he was hired in the position. And now you just have another yes, man, and it's not going to be good. So my rebuttal to that is, why would they fire Breitich, who was the best yes man ever? Well, they didn't fire him. He resigned, right? So what if he finally was fed up with... Do we actually think he resigned? I, I mean, no, I, I don't. But at the same time, like... How much further – we only know so much, right, especially as fans. Like, we only know what's um, out in media reports or what's being said here and there. But, like, in the inner circles of the real front office, like, I have no idea the things that were said or the things that were nixed. And I have to imagine that Breidich tried to do some certain things that weren't probably approved. And I'm not saying that those would have saved his job, but – at the same time, had you had an owner that wasn't a micromanager, maybe you have more freedom to do those kinds of things. And it's just sad that now you have another general manager that um, apparently is going to be the same exact bold as a Jeff Wright if you're down with that. Um, yeah. I think I think got fired as the scapegoat. That's all it. That's all he is, and it's going to be the same thing with Schmidt, but. That the Rockies were just looking for somebody to blame, like why no one had to leave town and we're in a complete rebuild. We're not, except we can't even re-sign like story or anything, you know? So it's like pretty much just to take the heat off of all the blame and like, we're not doing anything, but just tanking kind of a thing, um, which that's kind of the interesting thing for me is like, what if we did underperform how we world? What if we played to expectations this year? And even after the Schmidt firing, like if we don't like 
actually play good baseball after that point, then can they really be like, oh yeah, Schmidt came in and changed the culture and now everything's fine. Right. Like that, those what ifs have been going through my mind ever since this news broke. And like, there's no, like Schmidt doesn't get any recognition for what the Rockies have done the second half. Right. Like he should get absolutely nothing with that. Well, the fans, fans are blaming him for the John Gray situation currently. Not Trevor's story because that was not a savable situation. And that's the best of both parties situation. But the fact that John Gray hasn't been re-signed at this point, um, fans are blaming Bill Schmidt for that. I, I mean, does that have to play out in the offseason? Like, I know, I guess not necessarily because Wainwright just got signed to a year deal. Like, John Gray has been vocal about coming back. And yeah, right. he's, so, he's so why wouldn't you satisfy that? I mean, you don't think he's going to have suitors on the on the market? And like we all know, we need rotation. So like, why aren't you signing Gray as your number three, number four starter for a long time? Because he's been fantastic as a Rocky. Well, I the sad think, part is, is that the sad part is, is that they told everybody that the Rockies were going to compete, where everybody else um, in baseball, the writers and everybody else, said that they're not in the front office lied and said, yes, we are. And then we were somewhere in the middle. Whereas had we had an Arenado or somebody like that, like we're talking about wild card or something else. Like this was the worst case scenario for the Rockies as far as like having a competitive season. Worst case scenario. Right. Worst case scenario. I think it's, I think it's far too early to be jumping on Schmidt for not refining gray though. Like we're still in the season, you know? Like, I get not taking it to, like, letting him test the open market, but, like, there's still plenty of time to get a deal done. So, yes, you're right. You're right. But the best way I can describe my feeling about it is that I'm well. I'm right. just I'm, – I'm, I'm You're well. just there. Yeah. I, I wonder if something's going on, though, because how do you not sign a Colorado dude like Gray – that wants to be here, wants to be everything about the franchise and has been everything that you could expect as a Rocky, and he wants to come back. How do you not sign him, like, the week after, two weeks after, after you see what happened as you pissed off Story, as you pissed off, pissed off Nolan? Like, how do you not sign Gray and say, all right, the new regiment is in town. We're going to change things. We're going to do it better, and we're going to give you and the fans what they want, and we're going to do this deal right now. Let's sit down at the table and go. Like, John Gray doesn't say no to that meeting. John Gray and his agent don't say, no, we're going to wait for the offseason. And that's yeah, what takes I, me out. Like, I, I get the concern with it, and it definitely would have been a lot more positive finding this news out if Gray was already re-signed. Because then it's like, right. okay, there, there's something, there's an example. But, like, I don't know, just reading that statement from the Rockies saying that, everything's better now because of Schmidt. That was the vibe I got was like, he, he turned the organization around in what three months of work. He hasn't done anything. Right. And that's, I guess that, that might be the, what I'm salty about, right? Like here's, here's an announcement that can potentially keep the franchise the same or change it. Right. And we're just going to give praise to him already and here we go. Like, Rocky fans, like, you, you can go anywhere and read. Like, Rocky fans are salty. Same resume, didn't, regimen, you hired within. You didn't even look outside the organization. You are just doing the same old, same old bullshit, and here we go again, right? And, like, as fans, we have every right to be that upset. And I'm not going to jump on Schmidt yet. That's what I hear. He's a good man. Like, he can lead a team. He can do his thing. But it just is so upsetting that Monfart, yep, said it, and his crew are just not looking outside. Like, do something different or at least appease me as a fan and show me that you're trying to do something different. You know what I mean? Like, put on a show. Put on Show me the candidates that you could possibly interview and get me excited about. And then then call in Billy. Don't do it now. Don't do it now. I'll jump into it and say that he – this is horrible. 
like, I'm not going to give him a chance because I, there's not one to give. Like, based Ooh. on the resume, based on everything else that's happened, it's pretty clear what's going to happen. So I'm going to ask you guys, in the next 10 years, how many playoff series do you think that we win? The next 10 years. How many playoff series do we win? We will um, win three. I was going to say two. Cause I'm going to say you go, Kirk. Yeah, I was going to say two because that's kind of like basically how it's been. <laughs> right? <So. laughs> I was going to say three in two different seasons. Like you see this young core because we know Schmidt loves his dudes, right? Like he likes to draft, develop, and he's going to rep- stick his reputation on it. So when we get the Veen, Montgomery, the Romo, the future staff coming up through the rankings, they're going to stick around and they're going to do it for a year or two. And then we'll just do what we did in like 2017 and 18 and just kind of turn it over. So two playoff series in 10 years or three on the, on the upside. Yeah. So we're pretty excited for the next decade of Rocky baseball, right? We're, we're, we're whelmed right now <laughs> in your words. I mean, that, it's such a hard question to answer. Like, I think there's two, two ways to look at it. Like, I think the biggest downside is that we had an opportunity to get some fresh eyes on the organization and see, like, what, what we're doing wrong as far as developing everything. And, and that then, did not happen. Right. Exactly. That's, that's the big, big L in this. But I think that there is at least a little bit of optimism, at least for me. And that's because this, he's a developmental GM. And if we're going to have any – Monfort's already proved he's not going to spend money. So if we're going to compete, it's going to have to be through a developmental type of approach. And who knows? Maybe Schmidt has the, the knowledge and experience to be able to form a team that's like the Rays or the A's or somebody like that. That's that's the optimistic side of it. I love the optimism, and I'm I can't buy into it right now. I want to, but I can't. Oh, I can't find I can't find it. Um, there was I saw an article about a checklist of what's possibly going to happen um, with this new regimen. So Bill Schmidt wants to oh found it. Bill Schmidt wants to bring in a crew and an analytical team and everything. So here are some of the bullet points that were on it. Uh, the Rockies had a team payroll. Nope. Where is it? Beasel said the team plans to ramp up spending in the in the upcoming season. We think we're going to gain around in 2022, and we think we'll be back into 2018-19 levels in 2023. That's what the plan is. So yeah, we feel good about we feel good about our future. That's what Beasel, team president or um, dude, said. Right? Schmidt is in agreement with Black that the Rockies' two most pressing needs during the offseason are shoring up the bullpen and adding more power to the lineup. Yes, Both please teams. let's let's get some free agent uh, relievers in here. That's what we've always needed, right? Yeah, right. Just some more free agent, big spending relievers. Let's go. I mean, if you say it, you have to do it, right? And I, let's, get, really, let's get Wade Davis back here. Jake McGee had a good year. Let's bring him back. But they're, they're ramping up the analytics department to help with this. That's the other key fact. They're going to build the analytics department with the new hire. They're going to build a team that is competent and successful. And Bill Smith's going to listen to them. And Monfort's going to listen to Bill Schmidt. And we're going to win in two years. Unless Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt are in the front office in the next six months, I'm not buying. I mean... Theo Epstein? Yes, because I'm sure the Colorado Rockies was the <laughs> the dream job. What if Bill Schmidt calls up right now and says, hey, you want to be my you assistant think, GM? Do you think Theo even picks up even picks up the phone call? 
Do you think he even listens to the voicemail? Hang on, let's, let's downgrade it. Do you think he even listens to the voicemail or just straight up delete? Yeah, Theo has a screener. Theo's not, Theo's not entertaining that. I don't know. It's, it sucks. Like, we are exactly what we don't like. Kirk said, like, we're in the worst possible position right now, like, winning 70-plus games. We're competent. We're comp- competing. We're not doing anything. And so, like, it's hope, and here we are with Bill Schmidt was the reason that we're here. And so, let's give him full reign. Like, they didn't even put a year contract on this man. Like, he is here for a lifetime. <laughs> Dude, it's like, hey, the job is like Congress, man. Yeah. <laughs> right? Just show up every day, Bill. <laughs> do, do what I tell you. And you will be just fine. So you're telling me that he's being rewarded just for the fact that we won 70 games this year? No, he's being rewarded that he's been part of the organization since 1999. <laughs> it's, like, it's like if you if you start at McDonald's, you know, eventually you'll move up, you know? You hang out long enough, you will <laughs> own a franchise. Yeah. You haven't done anything wrong to get fired, and you're loyal to the owners. So here you go, bud. <laughs> to be so fair, stupid. name a job that that doesn't work out. Did they even post the job announcement? Because I was looking on Indeed and I didn't see it. No, but they are hiring uh, wall painters for the analytics department. Oh, hey, you do well, that. 20 years from now, you're GM. Work your way up. <laughs> That's all it takes. There are a few stories like that, but it's a little ridiculous. I don't know. I'm going to give Bill Smith. How, okay. Let's okay, you quit. You're this. being too positive. Like, no, let's end it with positive. this. How long, how, how long yeah. do we give Bill? How long do we give Billy before we throw him under the fire? Hang on, wait. How long before he gets fired or before the fans are fed the fuck up? Before you personally are fed the fuck up, because I think the fans are already fed up. Four years. Whoa, that's a big leash. That's big. I thought you, being you, just fucking Debbie Downer, Nancy Drew over here, would have gone like six months. No, yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm pessimistic, but I'm also not unrealistic. I'm not. No, you, just you. Not, yeah, not for him to get fired, but for you to be like, all right, this is not, not the answer. Because well, it sounds like four years. Four hey, years. just like just like that Brightage piece that I pushed out about all the trades and moves and the impacts and all of that. Like we have to wait to see how these things go. And I get that. I want it to happen now. Of course I want it to happen now, but I will also give him some time, but not too much time. I'll give him four years. Four years is a lot of time. Whatever. I mean, how it's long was Odell there? Your, how no, long, how long was Odell there? How long was Bradish there? See, you're taking in too many factors. How long until you're fed up with the job that Billy Schmidt does? I'm fed up with him now. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Four years is a long time. That's what we were trying to get out of you. <laughs> I don't want I don't want you to like analyze this and like take it. No, account. I'm fed the fuck up now, but I mean I guess I'll give him four <laughs> years before I grab my pitchfork. Kirk, what about you? Fuck you, James. Um, I think I think four years is good. I think that's a that's a good time to be able to see what's going on. But I think I think after two years, we'll have a good idea of how this is gonna go. Right, and that's right on that. I was gonna give him to the end of the twenty three season. You get two full seasons. Show me that you're doing things different. Yeah, at least building a competent team. Two off seasons, two drafts. See where we're at. I want him to use analytics. Give me some analytics. Like bring in some arms that I've never heard of that are going to play in Coors. Give me, give me a power bat that you can put out there that's going to produce Crone type numbers for a while. The four year mark. The four-year mark's good because then you can see how, like, these – the picks that he's taken are developing and stuff like that because, I mean, it's obviously – we know it's not going to be fixed in one season. 
Right. You got to give him a little bit of a leash. Stupid ass leash, though. Aaron, remember when I said you could be a better GM based on draft picks for the next five years? Yeah. Yeah, let's keep that going. Yeah. Do you still have what I picked? Yeah. All of them. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Mike. Um, all right. Let's get on some good news. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. I'm making it up right now. I feel like Ooh. I saw this in all the solid movies. You want to play Ooh. a game? <laughs> let's play a game. Um, Fun fact, I've never seen a full Saw movie. Wow. I saw the first one. It was really good. After that, it was trash. You've seen them all? I know I've seen, I've seen one and two, but, like, honestly, I couldn't tell you what actually happens. Besides the first one. The second one, I don't – because that's, that's just how those movies go. Like, you do it once, and it's pretty much the same thing. It's kind of like the Rocky GM <laughs> position. <laughs> <laughs> Hey hey Who leads the Colorado Rockies in OPS plus this year? Crone. Yep. There's a reason I chose him first, by the way. You feeling sick? No. Okay. Just want to remember, remind everybody that's listening that James was anti crone at the beginning of the season and hated the signing. Do the Rockies re sign Crone? No. You don't think so? I would like smart. to see him. It would, would be like too to smart. See, yeah. Yeah, I, I would like to see him at least get another one-year deal. But. Yeah, I, think I'd be, I think I'd be mad if they signed him to a one-year deal. I'd want him at least for two or three. Because, like, a one-year deal shows me that you're stopping the growth of um, Montero and Welker at the big league level. Where if you sign Crone for a few years, at least you're like committed to Crone. That's just my thing. No, they're gonna get uh, uh, Howard back on a minor league deal. All right, you're done. You're done talking. Jason Giambi. What do you What do you think? Like, is it smart to even re-sign him one year? Because like I'm almost thinking I don't think like, it is. what if What if we just went? Just all prospects, just bring everybody up, you know, like start the season with like Welker out there, McMahon, Rogers, just that's just what, let them play. That's what I'm saying. That's what they should have done the second half. But that's why I think I would be mad if they signed Crone to a one year deal. I'm actually curious what Crone's gonna get on the open market because his at home road splits are still atrocious. I I think he has he has 19 home runs at home, but only 22 RBIs on the road or something crazy like that. Like, his splits are ridiculous. So I'm curious what Man. he brings back. I was definitely, like, not too thrilled on Crone at the beginning of the year because he, he was playing very bad for a long time. And yeah. then it was just August. After that, he just – like, if he played how he played in August throughout the whole year, like, he'd be an MVP candidate. That'd be fantastic, right? That'd be great. Coming out of spring training, it was like, okay, is it going to be him or Greg Bird that's going to start at first base? <laughs> <laughs> but he was our best player. And, you, and seriously, and yeah, here when spring training ended, you could have you flipped a coin, and it would have been like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. Bird, Bird or Crumb. Who led the Rockies in stolen bases? The story? Jay? Hampson. No, he didn't play enough. Damn it. Hampson, surprisingly. No, he had 17. Tapia. Story was right and Tapia. Both had 20. Half 20. Fun fact, Trevor Story went 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases for the third season in a row. Great. Can't wait to have him not anymore. <laughs> Sorry. What do we think? What do we think about Tapia? I, I'm over it. I like him. He's electric. I love his attitude. But I, I love he, him. He doesn't hit for power. I mean, that's the thing. Like that's why I want 66% ground ball rate. 
Yeah, I mean, think about somebody like Juan Pierre who bounced around the league for so long, who was like a really fun player to watch, but ultimately teams didn't value him because can't hit for power. Yeah, you can hit some singles and you can steal some bases, but it's all about it's all about that OPS, dog. Especially when like he does play good he plays good defense, but not like you're gonna start out here because you're so good at defense, you know? He's I think he's inconsistent defensively too. Like you see him make some he's not not like Dwayne he's not Dwayne Wise out there. Like he, you can't count on him to make a great defensive play all the time. I see him. I as trust a, him. I trust him more than I trust Charlie Blackman for like making a play. Charlie Blackman has a fucking cannon though, and it's awesome to watch when he throws it. Yeah, but every time I see him tracking a fly ball, I cross my fingers and close my eyes. I I see I see Tapia as like a fourth outfielder, but That's I would rather cute. I'd rather be seeing Hampson playing center. And Daza, you know, go Daza, Hampson, Blackman for the year. Right. I really hope they implement the DH next year, just for Blackman's sake. But but if they if they um, like we're losing story, so do you move Rogers to short, Hampson at second, or what? What are we thinking? Yeah, Rogers plays shortstop. I mean, I mean, second base, second base is open season as far as spring training goes. Well, it depends like if what they do at first, right? Because they have Walker and McMahon. Like, well, that depends what they do at third because you have McMahon and Walker, Julius, and whoever else. So, right. I think it depends on who they sign, but I think, I think B Rod is going to be our starting shortstop next season. Which, after watching him play this year, He's got a lot better glove than I thought he did. Yes. And, like, it can only get better. Yeah. It's already – I already say it's a plus attribute. And, like, he's so close to making the fantastic plays, like, consistently. He'll he'll be just fine. I'm so excited for B-Rod. So excited. Who led the team in ERA plus? Starter. Go starter. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, wrong number. Who who led the team in O E R A plus? Gomber? Gray. Gomber Gray. Sensatella. Sensatella? This might have been before tonight's outing. I don't, I don't know if you saw that, but he gave up six hundred <laughs> Um but yeah, 117 ERA plus. This is wild. So our five main starters, Parquez, Cinzi, Gray, Freeland, and Gomber, all have an ERA plus of 100 or more. We have a good – that's why we were winning games. But, like, like, okay, so let me say that, and then let me tell you the ERA. 440, 410, 439, 433, 453. Honestly, I'll take that. <laughs> it's just wild. Yeah. Yeah, that's a win. Four, four ERA, four plus ERA has has earned you an ERA plus of a hundred or more. So like, our ERA but, is not good, but it's better than league average. I feel like anything, anything under five, like you're you're at least keeping the your team in the game, you know. <laughs> at Coors, yeah, five is such a high ERA. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, okay. So who led the bullpen in ERA plus? Carlo on the team. You think Carlos? Yeah. It's a good guess. If not, great, but decent guess. Man, I don't even know, man. Our bullpen is awful, but uh, I guess it was definitely El Mate. Oh. (laughs) I'll guess Bard. Uh, Bard? No No way. Bard, Bard was a 92. Carlos was a 112. But it's your boy, Kirk. Sheffield, 154. Okay. I didn't pitch for half a year. Yeah, I didn't think he was going to be included. The entire – anybody that pitched. Technically, it was Michael Givens with 177. He don't oh, count I... either. He's off the team. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell me who does count and then who wins. Who's you pitching right the, 
freak right now. Actually, <laughs> Stevenson. Stevenson pitched 45 innings and has a 151 ERA plus. I quit. I hate our bullpen. Bye. <laughs> that's 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 the issue. Is like you could just like pick a name out of a hat and they pretty much have the same numbers, you know? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> Surprising. Lucas Gilbreth was kind of a nice little surprise after his rough beginning. He's ending the year around a 346 ERA, an ERA plus of 140. Strikeout per nine is at nine, 9.1. Not a bad piece to have. All right, last little thing, and then we'll end it before our sweet interview with Winston Bernard, who's a fantastic story. Um, who is your surprise player of the year? Crone. I hated him. I hated him to start. <laughs> I absolutely hated him, and I had some really bad takes, and then at the end of the year, he, he tore it up. I'm, yeah. I, I love his batting it takes, a, it takes a lot of cojones for you to say that you were wrong, and I think we all need to appreciate the fact that you just said you were wrong. And I love his batting stance. He has that old man, like, hop, skip, standing straight up, just power whack. Yeah, it just all explodes all at the same time. Yeah, I love it. I will – I'll pick somebody different. But Thank you. it's obviously Crone, but Elias Diaz, man, we found a catcher. Right? Do they sign him next year? I think he's only on one-year contract. He should still be under arbitration, I think. Well, no. if it's the smart thing to do, then no, we will not do oh, it. Oh, yeah. Arbitration eligible 2022. So, yeah, he'll, he'll be arbitration eligible this offseason. I'm very excited to see what he does with a full season knowing he's the starter. Because yeah. it just seemed like once he established himself, he just started tearing up. He just felt more comfortable. And that that's – we never really had that. We've always been – platooning guys and stuff so nobody can really get into a rhythm that's what we saw with like walters and even nunez right like nunez is a fantastic backup until mciver gets up there a boy mciver friend of the pod but like if we can keep ds for a little bit with nunez as a backup yeah i'm down i love watching him throw the ball i fucking love elias throwing the ball I am going to go to the rotation and say Gomber was a nice uh, surprise. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that, too. I don't think anybody really expected him to play as well as he did. He was a little inconsistent, but I'm going to put that right because he's on the 60-day IL again. Like, Obviously, he was hurting when he came back and just never quite got the groove again. So I'm excited to see him go and thrive as a Rocky in the upcoming upcoming season. Like, we have so many good pieces that we can build around. So close. Hopefully, uh, Doom and Billy can figure it out. All right. So, that's our last pod of the season. We have wrapping up 2021. Fun times, good times. It was some time. Yeah. Very very interesting year. It was weird, man. It was a weird year. Um, so thank you for listening. We'll come back in the off season with our final season awards and all that and just have some fun things. But uh, our last 2021 interview was with Winston Bernard of the Albuquerque Isotopes. Um, just a fun interview. Charismatic. You won the fan favorite player of, of the Isotopes this year. Just a dude, man. He tells the story about like how what being fast is like and catching balls and like what it came from San Diego to where he is now. Just a really fun thirty minutes. Uh, hope you enjoy. Share, share the word. Find us and uh, go rock. Woo! Welcome to Blake Street Banter, where one of us knows what the word banter means, the other two are along for the ride. James, say hi. Hey. And uh, we are here with Winton Bernard, the outfielder for the Albuquerque Isotopes. What's up, Winton? How's it going? Good. Glad we're here doing this thing. Um, 
I'm going to be honest right up front with you. You are our fish. Your interview is a little bit different for us because we've talked to a lot of guys that were like drafted last year, two years ago, and haven't been the veteran presence that you have. So I'm really excited just to dive into your career here. Appreciate that. So let's dive into it. How did you end up at Niagara University? So I saw that you were at community college in San Diego area where you grew up. Then you end up out at Niagara and did great in the classroom and outside of the classroom. And just like, how did you get there? And what was that about? Yeah, so I went to Rancho Bernardo High School in uh, San Diego. And I was getting recruited by some big schools, but nobody really wanted to offer me a full ride or even like a partial scholarship. So I talked to my parents about it and I actually ended up going to Niagara my freshman year and then transferring home my sophomore year uh, to a community college. And then I went back my junior year. Okay. But, um, uh, I actually went to a Clemson camp. I wanted to go to school in the South. And there was a coach from Duquesne who was at the Clemson camp. He saw me. He really liked me. He told the coach at Duquesne, he said, hey, you got to get this kid. He's getting recruited by some big schools on the West Coast. And the coach was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do it. So uh, he's like, well, I'll get you to go to Duquesne. Well, Duquesne said no, too. But then um, he's like, all right, I'm going to call some schools on the East Coast for you. And the first school he called was Niagara. And then Niagara called me like the next day. And the coach, he offered me like right away. So it was, it was pretty sweet. Yeah, kind of being bounced around. Did that defeat you at all? Like, um, I was just frustrated because, you know, I thought I was, I was better. Um, and I didn't understand, like, why no one, none of the coaches would give me opportunities. And so um, I was – but at the same time, I was thankful that, you know, Niagara gave me a chance. And the coach hadn't even seen me play in person. But he, uh, he based his recommendations off a whole bunch of travel coaches. Um, my high school coach actually said some bad things. So he, uh, he, he took away the scholarship, and then he called me back the next day, and he was like, you know what? He's like, we talked to, like, three other coaches, and they said you're a great player, so we'll, we'll take you back. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm all in. Wow. That's a wild. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a, that's a roller coaster for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was it was a big roller coaster. I wanted to stay I wanted to stay home like closer to San Diego, but at the same time, my brothers they went off. Uh, one went to UNM, one went to Davidson. So my parents were like, "Go wherever you're you're wanted." You didn't want the bustling climate of, of Niagara. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I thought I didn't think it was going to be that bad. And, <laughs> <laughs> Coach, Coach McCoy, he told me he's like, "Yeah, you're only like a couple hours away from New York City." And I was like, oh, okay, I'll be there all the time. It's like six hours away. Like, never went there <laughs> time. <laughs> it was terrible. Well, uh, I mean, cool. at least he, he was right. You were a lot closer to New York than you were before, but. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> How far? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm obviously playing winter league ball, you've been all over, all over the world. Venezuela, Australia, uh, Mexico, Dominican. What was your favorite place to play during those times? What was your favorite uh -huh. winter league? Wow, that's tough. Every every single winter league has its best. So Dominican, I think the Dominican has the best competition. Australia, just the playing experience, like the team camaraderie, it was so close. Um, in Mexico, the fans there were crazy. Venezuela, the same type of thing. Uh, it was just kind of a crazy atmosphere. I think overall my favorite was probably Venezuela in terms of the baseball experience. Just because everybody, like, you know, we got fans throwing beer bottles at you. You got, I mean, every single pitch they're into the game. It's unbelievable. Really? I love that. I love that atmosphere. There's 20,000 at the game. They treat it just, it's like the major leagues here, but just it seems more intense. So uh, I'll probably say Venezuela for the baseball experience or Mexico would be a close second. Yeah, I don't, I don't say this is a knock against major league fans at all, but I mean, they're pretty tame for the most part. If you watch, for example, I've seen some documentaries and things about just Japanese baseball and they treat it like a world cup soccer game. I mean, you got chants and Venezuela's and all kinds of stuff, songs, everything. I know. I kind of wish it was like that here. Uh, yeah. It'd be, it'd be a lot a different experience for sure. It'd be a lot more fun. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. Oh, Oakland tried to do that in the right field a little bit and they kind of got dogged for it. Like this isn't baseball fandom and that's kind of gone down the hill a little bit. That makes sense. Well, you, you gotta be polite. You know that, right? <laughs> they were, they had the, the drummers in the back and they had the whole thing going. Oh, it was yeah. fun. 
Uh, you played in Australia at the same time uh, friend of the pod, Tyler, Taylor Snyder did. Did you play against him? Do you remember him at all? Like, it was pretty crazy your timelines matched up. Yeah, but we made that connection in spring training. I think he uh, he added me on Instagram. He's like, wait, you were in, in Brisbane? And then there was a clip of me hitting a home run on Instagram. And he was like, that's me right there. It's first up. I was like, wait, no way. So, uh, yeah, we kind of made that connection. It talks about, like, our experience there. We both had a super good time. You play three or four times a week. You get your work in, and then you can go to the beach after. Competitions, it's still good. I mean, it, it was a really good league. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool that we got to play against each other. There's a couple guys I played against, and we figured out later on that we didn't know at the time we were playing against each other. It's kind of funny from a fan's perspective, minor league ball and all the farm systems and things, it seems kind of overwhelming trying to keep up with how many guys are in a farm system, but it seems like it really is kind of a small world as a player. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I mean, I was talking to our starter last night, Frank Duncan, we played against each other in 2017. I was with the River Cats. He was with the Aces. And um, Greg Bird, we played against each other in a college summer league. And we figured that out. Like, <laughs> too. We were like, wait, what? He, he said he was in playing in Vegas. I was like, why are you in Vegas? He's from, you know, the East Coast. And he goes, I was in a California collegiate league. I was like, I was in that league. <laughs> we made that connection, too. It's just, it, it's a really small world. Yeah, it really is. That's fun. That's fun. Um, I do want to ask you one more question about the Dominican uh, Winter League. So you played there for like five, six games right before this season started. And you played with uh, your main, your main Mercedes. I can't ever say his name right. Like, did he, uh, like, did he just look different at the end of that season? Like when you were playing with them and like to be this guy that came out super hot at the beginning of 2021, like, could you see that in him like that independent ball turning into pro absolutely he was good man there's so many guys that are like top notch and I think it's just about basically getting that opportunity um there was a couple really good guys on that team but he actually did stand out there's some balls he would absolutely blast I like his two-strike approach where sometimes he doesn't do his like big old lay kick and he's still smacking the ball I mean they didn't have exit velocities down there but it had to be 105 110 miles an hour he was he was crushing the ball down there, and he's 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 really really big. Like <laughs> you have to see him in person. He's 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 yoked. He's he's that. He really is as big as he looks on TV. He's Dude. a giant. That's crazy. Um. So, what's it like being fast? Like, <laughs> I I always think about that. There's that play that probably happened about a month ago in Albuquerque and that stupid hill that they still have out there. You ran out there, you tripped, and you're waving. But and then I think you stole a few bases, either that game or that series. And just like you're, you're thirty-ish. You're that thirty time. You're still fast and doing your thing. And just can I live through you for a little bit? And like walk me through like that catch and stealing bases and stuff. Like what's your mentality with all that? All right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's it's truly a blessing because I know a lot of guys. You know, they start slowing down, but. Um, this off season, my trainer was like, man, he's like, how are you PR in at 30? He, he's like, this makes no sense. And I was just proud of myself because I tried to take care of my body the best I can. And my goal when I first started playing and my parents goal, they were like, we want to be able to have you maintain. So longevity, longevity, longevity. So take your vitamins, eat healthy. And I actually really think that's truly paid off because I haven't slowed down at all. And, um, when it comes into the game, I'm always trying to like steal base for my teammates or make a play in the outfield for the pitchers. They get all excited. So that makes me all excited. So anything I could do to help them out and help the team out, it honestly does. It goes a long way. Um, that play on the hill was funny because <laughs> I was so happy I caught it. And so that was like, <laughs> like Siri, Jose Siri, he's an outfielder. He does a whole bunch of antics all the time. He's a really good player, but um, a couple guys on their team asked me, they're like, were you blowing the kiss at Syria? I was like, no, 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 that wasn't it. I was like, I was genuinely glad I caught it. And those were like true emotions. I just was into the game. I like blew the, blew the kiss towards the fans. Like I was, I was happy for myself. I was happy that we caught it. It was a big situation. I think it was the eighth inning, like yeah. game. So um, I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's fun. Like I said, I'm truly blessed to, to maintain my speed. Um, 
and hopefully I can keep it going. I know like guys like Rajay Davis, they were fast until, you know, he ended stopped playing. He stole bases his whole career until his like late thirties. So I want to be the same way. Yeah. Yeah. This year, the base. this year you, you, you scored from second on a ground ball back up to the pitcher. Do you remember that play? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll just through that one. I, um, my manager was giving me some love. Schaefer, uh, he, he really liked that play too. And the guys were all pumped up. Um, I don't think I've done that. I don't think I've done that before. So I watched, the, I watched the highlight a couple of times and you can't see when he throws it to first base for the out, for the fourth out, you can't see what you're doing over on third base. Like if you're trying to read it or if you're just coming around, you know, head down full of steam, I, you can't really see what your mindset is or what you're thinking in that moment. Yeah, I was making sure he went to first. So I was still rounding it pretty hard. And if he was going to pick back over to third, I was going to go back. But it was kind of like a small little hesitation. And then I just took off once I saw him, like, go to first. Just it's absolutely incredible. What do you – what would be your, like, uh, cool play? We have this argument all the time. Would we rather strike out the last batter or have a walk-off home run? What about you? Would you – do you like the stolen base – um, late in the game or that catch like out in the outfield, that cool defensive play out in the outfield late in the game? Wow. That's, that's really tough. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with the stolen base though, because there's so much, usually when I come in and I've done this before, like with the Cubs, they'd have me as like the fourth or fifth outfielder. And uh, they're considering me, calling me up to the big leagues to, to just pinch run. And they would bring me in like eighth or ninth inning. And there's so much adrenaline, like, I could really feel it, and everybody knows I'm going to steal. The pitcher knows I'm going to steal. The catcher knows I'm going to steal. The whole stadium knows I'm going to steal. And to be able to make it, if I do, hopefully I do, but to be able to make it if I do is just like once I get to second, I'm like, let's go. Like <laughs> internally, I'm just so excited. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, then you have a chance to score. I think, you know, having a chance to score has a slight edge over making like a big, huge defensive play. That's bigger for you. Yeah. Do you – so walk me through like what your leadoff at first, like, what are you looking for at the pitcher? Are you looking for like, do you do tape? Like, do you look at tape of the pitcher and his pickoffs? Do you find patterns? Like what's your, uh, what's your mindset when you get to first and like looking for that stolen base? Yeah. I usually just try to read his time, honestly. So I'll have the first base coach tell me if he's, you know, pretty quick to the plate or if he's not, um, if he's like a one, two or one, three, that's a little bit quicker. But sometimes these pitchers, they'll come into habit. So he'll look down, he'll look up, and then he'll go. So I'll start the time even earlier. So I'll be like, oh, he's actually like a one four one five, so I might be fine. Um, but I, I generally look at his feet. And so I just try to go off of his leg lift. Like once he lifts that front foot up, then I'll take off. But some, uh, some pitchers give it away, too. They'll, you can see that they're gripping a breaking ball. So usually if they're gripping a breaking ball, they're not going to pick over. I might be able to get an extra step here or there. Um, but yeah, just little, little nuances. I, I can pick up on anything I can. That's, that's cool. I always like the inside of the baseball player's mind because I coach little league. I coach, shoot, I coach James so long ago. And one of the things that we'd always stress, like as a pitcher, don't do rhythms, look for, get, do different things as, as all the time as you're pitching, but I never knew how to steal a base playing. So I never knew how to coach it. So I might have to bring that to the middle school team next yeah, season. <laughs> Well, from a pitching perspective, like it's so tiring, constantly thinking about rhythms and, and looking over and am I going to look twice? Or am I going to look three times and all that stuff? So I feel like it kind of plays into your hands a little bit that they just, for lack of a better term, get a little lazy, I guess. Or, no, it does for sure. Yeah. So I want to walk through your career a little bit. What was it, what did it mean to you? I would have to assume that you were a Padres fan growing up, being in that area. Yeah. Was that pretty dope, like getting drafted by your childhood team? It was so sweet because I was all the way in Niagara and I was like, what are the chances of that? You don't think that at the time. Like I'm, I was at Niagara and I get drafted still by the Padres. That was unbelievable. It's, yeah. It's gotta be pretty cool. Yeah. I was a huge Mike Cameron fan too. And like Tony Gwynn Jr. And all those guys coming up, Phil Plantier. I, you know, I looked up to those guys and those were the only, that was the only game I had ever been to. Um, I saw the Yankees play when I was in high school at Yankee stadium, but they were playing against the Padres. Um, but I, I had only been to like a few Padre games. That was the only team I really knew. Mm -hmm. 
I had been to uh, quite a few major league games and when you're younger, you really think that, you know, these, these major leaguers are like, they're different types of people. Like they're, they're not going to interact with you. Um, they're just going to play their game, all that stuff. Mike Cameron uh, really broke that barrier for me. He would always, he would always walk out in center field shagging balls during batting practice. He talks to every single person. in the center Really? Field. Yeah. He, I mean, he would always do that. I'm like, Oh my gosh, they're just like regular people. <laughs> you know? Yeah. When you're young, it's so important. It's so cool. And Mike Cameron's one of those guys that, that was awesome with it. That's so sweet. He he was on a MLB, like they did a round table thing a few weeks ago. He was there with Pedro. He like jumped on his Zoom after doing some stretches or something. He jumped on there with Pedro and Chris Young and some other guy. And they were just talking ball. But Mike Cameron, he's he was a riot the entire time. It'd be fun. Um, so I'm in Grand Rapids right now. You're familiar with, yeah. Um, so what was your time in Detroit playing for the affiliates and stuff? Cause you went off in 14, 15, 16 and like really established yourself in that time. And like, just what was that time? Like league MVP, all-star high. And what was that single, single a ball time? double a ball like walk us through your time in detroit as the detroit affiliate all right yeah so uh my first year was 14 and i don't know if you guys know the story but i actually went i got released by the padres in 13 i went to an open tryout and um it was funny this guy got out of the car he's like hey man he's like i don't even know who you are but he's like the look in your eye he's like you're gonna get signed today it was the craziest thing when i tell people this they don't even they it's hard for them to believe guy named Benny Castillo he's like you're gonna get signed today and long story short I got signed I was like the only guy to sign and so uh they sent me to a single A and one of the other outfielders got hurt they told me I was gonna be like the fourth or fifth outfielder one of the guys got hurt and I got my opportunity the first week of the season and I just kind of took off from there I had a really good season um I learned a lot of things I learned how to steal bases I had a good outfield coordinator Gene Roof Uh, my manager was good he was from Australia, Andrew Graham. Mm-hmm. I tried to pick up on any little things I could from some of those Hall of Famers, Al Kaline, um, Alan Trammell was helping me out, Willie Horton. I mean, the Tigers had a lot of old-timers that came in and gave us good good stuff and good feedback. Um, so I learned a lot, and uh, I, I took off. So 14, um, I was in single lane, Grand Rapids, and really enjoyed my time there. And then I had a good season, so they put me on the 40-man, and then in 15, they sent me to double-A. I was in Erie. In 16, I was still in the 40-man. They took me off, like, middle of the year. I was in, in between triple-A and double-A. Um, but I really I really did enjoy my time there. Where did you where did you stay at in Grand Rapids? Oh, I stayed in Rockford. With oh, you stayed out. With, with the host family, yeah. Okay. Yeah. People always ask, like, where was my favorite city to play in? No, it was definitely Grand Rapids. I loved it there. The the ballpark out there, it's, it's Lake Michigan Credit Union ballpark now, not fifth thirds, but it's a nice little ballpark and got the berm. It's always it's always a good time going out there. It absolutely is. Rockford. I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have <laughs> expected somewhere else. All right, cool. So then like, so you walk through, like you did really good things with the Tigers affiliates and then they let you go, like you said, at the end. And then you've just been one year contracts here and like pretty much ever since then. Yep. Like what's your mentality going into every off season? Like you have, you have a decision to make, like you have some things to think about coming up soon. Like what's that like for you? Like, how do you get through that? Uh, I'm basically just relying on God. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm just staying faithful and uh, hoping, you know, things will work out. Off seasons are tough because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when you're going to get signed, who's going to sign you, um, what the opportunities are going to be like. So I just try to, you know, pray about it and work as hard as I can. Um, this offseason, I was really blessed because I was in Indie Ball uh, in 2000 or during the COVID year. Mm-hmm. And the Rockies uh, took a chance on me again. So every year I, I feel super blessed and super lucky. Um, and I'm, I'm continuing to get better at the same time. It's just like putting those those games back to back more consistently. But in terms of like my mental and um, how I'm doing at the plate or how I'm doing on defense, my games, it's completed. It's just about being more consistent 
because I think I'm better than I was, you know, when I was with the Tigers, even though my numbers probably look better than I'm a better player. It's just I need to be more, way more consistent. So I've learned a lot in every offseason. I'm just, you know, hoping another team will give me another chance uh, to ultimately make it to the major leagues and stick in the major leagues. Yeah, you just play the, the game a lot differently than other guys. You know, you yeah. let your emotion go, but it's always a smile. It's always it's always those things that's really refreshing to see. And, and um, you know, it just reminds that it, that it is a game and people are having fun doing it. As a fan, you watch a lot of games and, like, you would never see anybody make a motion most of the time. Yeah. Um, not everybody, of course, but, I mean, a lot of players, they didn't show any emotion. I don't know what kind of person they are or anything like that, but watching you play is just really fun. It's just really fun to see you enjoying it. I appreciate that. Yeah, this, sometimes um, I, I let it come out more, too, and those that's what makes me play better. You know what I mean? And yeah, definitely. It, it, it really does. Um, <clears throat> even the other day, like, I got pulled out for, like, a double switch, and they had the Carlton dance going on the TV for all the fans, and I'm like, you know, let me get out there and do it. So I did it in front, like, and I had the, the, the crowd laughing. But it, 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 at the end of the day, it's a game. I mean, we're working. It's a job, but – it's still a game and we're so lucky to be playing it. So that's why when I, um, if I strike out or even if I hit, you know, a million home runs, it's like, I'm happy. I'm mad. But at the same time, I try not to, I'm not try not to get too high or too low because I know like everything's still going to work out and it's still a game. Yeah. Did it take you a while to get to that mental spot for that? I've always kind of been like that for some reason. Yeah. I think my brother just playing playing sports. They kind of taught me uh, to, to try to stay kind of even keeled and focus on the next event. But like I said, when I uh, sometimes I'll do it to it's it's natural emotion or to pump up my team if I feel like we're not playing well collectively. I could do something a little bit extra, and then that might hype somebody else up because I know how it feels. You know, Kozar struck out the side the other day. And he came in the dugout beating his chest. That hypes that hypes me up. You know what I mean? Like I'm proud of him for that. So I know what it feels like when I do it to somebody else, and I they see me genuinely excited. It, it hypes guys up. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm on board with all the emotions. Like James said, it's way way more fun to watch, like as a fan, and it just shows you a little bit more of who you are, like as a person. Like I can see you out there. There he is. I get it. That's who he is, and that's just what he does, and that's. It's pretty freaking cool. Like, yeah. I just love seeing emotions. Cool. All right. We, we'll finish with this. Um, we always end our conversations with a few, like, get to know you questions, you know, softball questions and stuff. Right. Um, who's the most athletic person in your family? Because your family <laughs> goes pretty athletic. So let's start a family a family feud um, right now. And right. Who, do, who do you got? It's hard. It's hard to give up on myself, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. With my oldest brother Walter who played uh, played football. Okay. Humble yeah. approach. Humble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to say me, but man, this dude ran a four three and he broke the vertical record at UNM. Like I've seen him run. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I like that. Uh, speaking of family feuds, what was it like uh, being on Family Feud with the fans, Steve Harvey, and all that? Man, that was so sweet. That's just the like Steve Harvey's the coolest dude. He's cracking jokes the whole time. Our family had a good time. It was crazy how it all worked out, but um, yeah, it was it, it was just a fun time. I don't know. Like even the auditions were fun. We had to get there to the auditions. We were cracking up the whole time. Everybody's like, "Your family's for sure gonna be on." <laughs> Steve Harvey, he uh, he was just he was loving us too. He would talk to us in between segments and give us advice, crack jokes. Yeah, it was great. So was that like a family collective decision to like, hey, let's go try out for Family Feud and see if we can get on? Or what was that? About? Like, how, how did that happen? Me and uh, my, my middle brother, Wayne, we were playing the Nintendo game, but it was from like 1990. And we couldn't beat it because the answers were so old. We played, we stayed up for like four hours, five hours playing. And I was like, Wayne, let's go on the real show. It's three in the morning. And I look him up online and I sent the like a description of our whole family within like 30 minutes and the next morning it was 9 a.m and they emailed us back and they said if you can make it to auditions in la then uh, we'll see what we can do so we went to auditions on uh friday and then we got in so it was like kind of my decision but wayne thought i was joking i was like wayne we should grow on the real show since we can't beat this nintendo game <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. And final question. Um, what is your best like baseball memory, baseball moment for you? Okay. Oh, gosh. So many good memories. Um, I'm going to name a couple because I think um, I've been very blessed to like meet a lot of people in the game. So a lot of my favorite players I've met, and it's not one specific memory, but like Kenny Lofton and Ken Griffey Jr., um, Torrey Hunter, David Justice, all these guys have given me advice. And when I was younger, I used to look up to all these guys. So um, I'm, I'm really thankful for that. In terms of the baseball experience, I hit a walk-off grand slam in 2018. I actually tripped over third base. Uh, it made ESPN. I was like, I don't know what I was thinking. I was jumping in the air like I was Michael Jordan in game six, and I ended up tripping over uh, tripping over third base. But I had waited, you know, 28 years to hit a walk-off grand slam or even a walk-off home run, and I finally did it. So that was probably one of my best memories. Yeah, totally worth it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody it's going to remember you tripping over it. That's that awesome. Uh, I appreciate you went to for hanging out with us and talking ball. It's always a good time and uh, continue grinding and hopefully we see you in purple real soon. Yeah. Keep having fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. It was a good time. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thank you for tuning in. Find more content at blakestreetbanter.com.